Amen. Baruch Hashem. What a day. What a day it's been so far. What a day it's going to be. All the great miracles that are going to happen and are happening now. Miracles that are underway and you don't even know about it. Amen. I hope you understand this. I hope you understand. I hope you, under, I hope you're, I hope you, I hope you are excited. All the, the, all the great and wonderful and amazing things that are happening in the atmosphere right now. As I said, uh, back we were looking at Lech Lecha, uh, that the covenant of the parks is the first time where Lapid is mentioned, and it happened in the year 2018. And I believe that Hashem just showed us that so he could say that this year is the rising of Lapid. By the way, someone might wonder, where did the idea of Lapid come from? Well, my wife and I were on a, a trip to Israel, and in fact, the... Uh, the mentors were with, with us, uh, Devorah and Zoe Mentor were with us. And the Shabbat that we were there, we decided to go to the great synagogue. Our apartment was, uh, that we were renting was in an Orthodox neighborhood, just basically across the street, more or less, from the great, uh, great synagogue, which is just down the street from the uh, Jaffa Gate. So we went to the uh, great synagogue that day. And on the way back, walking back to our apartment, getting ready for uh, Oneg, I have to say that Arab Shabbat, Oneg, Havdalah in Jerusalem is, you know, like the bomb, right? Okay? So I, uh, during, uh, after Oneg, uh, the ladies want to take a little nap. So uh, I walked down to the Western Wall, the Kotel, and studied Midrash Shabbat, the Kotel, that day. Baruch Hashem. So after my soul came back from heaven, I went back <laughs> to uh, the apartment. But anyway, but... On the way back through the apartment, we just realized that, wow, you know, what, what the world needs is a movement of authentic, traditional Judaism that is fully centered on Yeshua, that is not like, uh, well, you know, it's just, it's, it's more orthodox in its expression and more true to form of what Yeshua actually did and how he actually lived. And it was that day in Jerusalem, which would have been the, the month of February in, in uh, 2014, that the, the word Lapid came out right there in Jerusalem. So Baruch Hashem, that's, that's how that happened. Uh, that's what happened with that. Baruch Hashem. Let's uh, say our bracha for Torah study as we dive right into our Megillah. Blessed are you, Adonai. Our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us and engrossed ourselves in the words of the Torah, please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words you have torn in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Amen. 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 Ve Amen. And the bracha for the Megillah reading. Blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us regarding the reading of the Megillah. Amen. So we are reading Shia Shirim. We are now in the 14th verse. This week's reading was chapter 2 and verse 14 through chapter 3 and verse 6. So let's read it. I'm reading here from the Humash, which would be more or less the the expanded version, if you will, the interpretive version, rather than being the literal translation, we'll be looking at the literal translation here in a second. So it says, in verse 14, 
At the sea, he said to me, O my dove, trapped at the sea as in the cleft of the rock, the concealment of the terrace, show me your prayerful gaze. Let me hear your supplicating voice, for your voice is sweet in your countenance calmly. Then he told the sea, seize for us the Egyptian foxes, even the small foxes who spoil Israel's vineyards while our vineyards had just begun to blossom. My beloved is mine. He fills all my needs, and I seek from him and none other. He grazes me in rose-like bounty until my sin blows his friendship away and sears me like the midday sun and his protection departs. My sin caused him to turn away. I say to him, my beloved, you became like a gazelle or a young heart on the distant mountains. As I lay on my bed in the night of my desert travail, I sought him who my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not, for he maintained his aloofness. I resolved to arise then and roam through the city and the streets and the squares, and through Moses I would seek him whom my soul loved. I sought him, but I found him not. They found me, Moses and Aaron, the watchmen patrolling the city, You have seen him whom my soul loves. What has he said? Scarcely had I departed from them when, in the days of Yehoshua, I found him whom my soul loves. I grasped him, determined that my deeds would never again cause me to lose hold of him until I brought his presence to the tabernacle of my mother and the chamber of the one who conceived me. I adjure you, O nations, who are destined to ascend to Jerusalem, For if you violate your oath, you will become as defenseless as gazelles or hinds in the field. If you dare provoke God to hate me or disturb his love for me while he desires it. You nations have asked, who is this ascending from the desert? Its way secured and smoothed by palm-like pillars of smoke, burning fragrant myrrh and fragrances of all the perfumer's powders." Notice it says in the third chapter here, it says in verse 5, I adjure you, this is how this verse is understood, translated by the ancients, I adjure you, O nations, who are destined to ascend to a Jerusalem. I adjure you, O nations, who are destined to ascend to Jerusalem. There, there, is, there can be and there is a lot of arguments as to uh, uh, theology. Many people argue and debate theology. It's a hot topic. And so this topic here about whether we should follow Torah or not follow Torah, is it for today, is it not for today, Uh, should we live like Jews or not live like Jews, all these things are hot topics. And our... um, our humble movement here, our humble synagogue is an outlier. We are, uh, you know, weird. You're, we're weirdos, right? We're strange because we're so, here's why we're strange. We're strange because we live like the Messiah. That's what makes us weird. No, Selah. What makes you weird is that you live like Mashiach. What makes you weird is that you're a Pharisee like he was. That makes you weird. That's, that's strange. 
And see, even in Judaism, we weird, we're weird. Because among, Jew, among the traditional Jews anyway, you're not supposed to believe in, 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 in this JC guy, this Messiah. You're not supposed to believe in him and live Jewishly. That's weird. That's strange. Not supposed to do it, right? Of course, we believe in Yeshua. But the point being is that it's, that's what makes us weird. But what it's saying here is that in the end, when everything is said and done, when all things come to fruition, the end result, and it's brought it here by Shira Shreem, is that the destiny of everybody is to go to Jerusalem and live a Torah life. That's the destiny of everybody. We can, have, we can argue, we can debate, we can say this, oh, no, it's not, yes, it is. I read a letter and it, it, turned, it destroyed the scripture. All this, we can say it all the time. But the reality is, at the end of days, no matter what your theological argument is, at the end of days, we're all going to be looking at each other in Jerusalem. Not Rome. Not Paris. Not Washington, D.C. Not uh, Istanbul. Not Bangladesh. In Jerusalem. Right? I'm trying to be equal opportunity. So it says... In the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, this is one of the three verses I would have pointed to and say this is, this is a verse that really when we started so many years ago, we started with passion, by the way. Passion. Passion with this idea. We started so many years ago. And by the way, we didn't begin with Lapid. The idea of Lapid kind of came halfway as we're kind of, kind of like, it was like an epiphany, Right? So it says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Adonai has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. Isn't that true today? Darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness the people. It's amazing the level of darkness that we see today, and the level of darkness in people's eyes. We have so much so many resources at our disposal, and yet it seems like the more resources we get, the more technology improves, the more ignorant the people become of truth. The bigger the library, right, it almost seems like, the, 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 I should say not so much the library, but the bigger the access to information, people are dumbed down. They'd rather play Tetris on their iPad than, right? That's the thing. That's where we're at. Nobody reads anymore. They have reading campaigns. Read a book. So it says here, <clears throat> it says here, though darkness covers the people, but Hashem will rise upon you. This is the good news. We, we focus, we look, we might look at the negative and go, man, it's so dark. But Hashem's like, I had to make it dark so that the light could be brighter. If you want your light to stand out, you've got to dim the lights in the room. So it says, Behold, though, Hashem rises upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. Notice it says upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. And, listen to verse 3, And nations will come to your light. What light? The light of Torah. The only light that exists is Torah. Yeshua, the light of the world. Nations are going to come to that light. We may feel like we're losing the argument or we're not being effective enough. But if we keep davening, if we keep seeking, if we keep 
see, uh, uh, putting ourselves out there, then eventually the nations are going to come to the light. Notice it says the nations are going to come. It says the nations are going to come. I said in my uh, Aliyah, I believe uh, yesterday, I think it was, that our synagogue's goal is not particularly to reach Jews for Messiah. The, there's a whole movement that exists, that their whole, their whole goal, the whole reason they exist, is to evangelize Israel. The problem with that is it's not consistent with when you look at the way things play out in the Scripture. Israel is supposed to be evangelizing the nations. No, no, listen. You think, you're crazy. No, I'm not. If you look at the story of Joseph, Joseph was in Egypt, and the reason he was in Egypt, the reason Hashem's sitting there is because one day people were going to come and, and beg for grain. And, and Joseph, what he told the people was, do you want grain? You need grain? Yes, I must have grain. Great. You have money? Yes. Fantastic. You want my grain? Of course, I'm here. Get circumcised. Get circumcised. Joseph was a Judaizer. He w what are you talking about? Get circumcised. Notice that Joseph did not, uh, once he became <coughs> the viceroy of Egypt, and this he had all the, all the power, all the money, he had multimedia, he was on YouTube. He had, he had Joseph.com. He had everything. By the way, in the Midrash Shabbat, it refers to Joseph as, are you ready for this? The Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Joseph could have taken his multimedia campaign with all his evangelists, and he could, have, he could have taken it right to Canaan, right to his brothers, and got right in their face and said, look, I am the Mashiach. Behold, if you want grain, come unto me. <laughs> he could have done that, right? That's not what he did. He spent his old time in Egypt transforming Egypt. And then one day his brothers came to him. And guess what? He had all the people that he had circumcised in the room, all his servants, everybody who understand that he was the king of kings. Everybody understood that he was the savior of the world. He told all those people, please leave while I reveal myself to my brothers privately, and I do it myself. I'm just showing you the pattern. And I know that in the Western mind, the idea in the Western mind is, whatever the pattern is, it can complete, be complete, completely something different. But that's not how God operates. God shows us the pattern so that we can see the pattern. What does that tell us? That our mission as Jews is to reach the nations because that's what Hashem wants to do. That's what he wants to do. And it's borne out by this verse right here in, in the third chapter, O nations who are destined to ascend to Jerusalem. And so it says in verse 4 here in Isaiah, Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They all come to you. Your son shall carry them from afar and your daughter shall be, be carried on the hip. 
But anyway, going back to Shir Hashirim, I want to I go back to a verse from last week that we didn't have a chance to look at because la last week we shared some important vision, which I hope that uh, was inspirational. But we have the Shira Shirim verse from um, chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. It says this, My beloved is like a gazelle or the fawn of a deer. Behold, he stands behind our wall, looking through the windows, peering through the lattices. My beloved spoke up and said to me, Arise out of you, my love, my fair one, and go forth for yourself. There is a reason why we at Sar Shalom value uh, Jewish literature. We study things that sometimes make people uncomfortable because they don't know anything about it, and that's why it makes them, most of the time, we feel most uncomfortable about things we're not sure about. But we study, uh, like we study the Talmud and the Midrash Rabbah and the Zohar and a plethora of other of sources. We have libraries. We have men in this room and women in this room who have whole libraries full of this stuff. Like, like it would make the people who manage the Library of Alexandria jealous. <laughs> There's one couple in our shul, I'm not going to say who, they have a Dewey Decimal System when you walk in their house. <laughs> you kiss the mezuzah and you take a library card. <laughs> and when you leave, you have to go through security. They scan you for books. <laughs> and so... <clears throat> My wife says, I have an addiction until I can quit anytime. <laughs> the problem is I have a pusher. It's called art school. They send me a catalog every time. They're pushing it. <laughs> but we study these books, and people are scared of them sometimes. And I would say that if you do a study of, of the history of anti-Semitism, go back and look at the anti-Semitism class we have online, you'll find out that back in the 1300s, the church, it's, just a, it's a fact of history, and so unfortunately we have to say it, but the church uh, discovered the Talmud. It, had been, it existed for 500 years. They, they started lying about it and saying it was full of witchcraft and it was full of uh, lies about Yeshua. And that's not true. There are actually four references in the Talmud to Yeshua. Three of them are not Yeshua HaMashiach. They're another Yeshua. One of them is Yeshua, and it says that he was crucified on the 14th of Nisan and he was of the royal line of David. That's good, right? I mean, that's, that's a good thing. We want to know that, <coughs> right? <laughs> the rest of it has nothing to do with Mashiach at all, except that it has everything to do with Mashiach. So anyway, my point is, is when you study this material, it helps you to understand who Messiah is, and it helps you understand certain things about his coming and his, his coming again and the Gospels and everything. And so case in point, Midrash Rabbah, Shira Shirim. It says here, in reference to this verse, my beloved is like a gazelle. My beloved is like a gazelle. It says, just as this gazelle appears out of concealment and is then again concealed, reappears and is again concealed, so did the first redeemer Moses appear to the Israelites and then he was concealed from them from a time and then reappeared to them. And for how long was he concealed from them? Rabbi, Tag Ta Rabbi Tankuma said, three months. Thus it is written concerning the Israelite foreman who oversaw their brethren's slave labor for the Egyptians. They encountered Moses and Aaron standing opposite them as they left Pharaoh's presence, Exodus 5.20. Yehuda the sage said, The word encountered implies that it was an infrequent occurrence. 
so too the final Redeemer will appear to the Jewish people and will then be concealed from them again for a time. Let me read this again. It says, So the final Redeemer will appear to the Jewish people and will then be concealed from them again for a time. The point, in fact, is, according to the Midrash Rabbah, that the final Redeemer, the Mashiach, is going to appear and then disappear and then reappear again. Why? Because his first coming is as Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah son of Yosef, who is supposed to come and fight the battle against the Klippah and then be killed and then resurrected and come back as Messiah ben David. Which is why it says in the letter to the uh, Hebrews that when Mashiach returns, he's not coming back to suffer because he's already suffered. He's already been Messiah ben Yosef, but rather he's coming back to rule and to reign. The reason the writer of the book of Hebrews, whoever that was, the reason that they wrote that letter and put that in there is because they were pointing out that Yeshua had already come as Mashiach ben Yosef. Why Mashiach ben Yosef? Because ben Yosef is the type of the Mashiach who was betrayed by his brothers, killed, or seemingly killed. They took his coat, the, 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 the coat of many colors, which was in fact the coat that God had made Adam. And the reason they were jealous is because their father, who, who Rebecca, his mother, had given him that coat, that smelled like Ganadin, and he went in to see his father Isaac, and he said, I hear the voice of Yaakov, but, I, but he smells like the field. What field is he talking about? He's talking about Ganadin, because the jacket had the fragrance of sacred apples on it. And so he, he says, I, I, he's confused. I, I hear the voice of Jacob, but I, I feel the hands of Esau. I'm not really... So he, he says... This coat had a supernatural ability to it. That's why, there's a big long history here, but I'm, I'm fast forwarding this, the Reader's Digest version. It was given to Nimrod from his father Cush, who had received it from his father Ham, who had stolen it from Noah. And it's the reason why Nimrod became such a great hunter and a great king is because of the anointing of this coat. Imagine God made it. Now, if Tommy Hilfiger could make a nice suit, what do you think God could do? And so here comes Yosef, and he's walking around in Adam's coat, which should belong to Reuben. And so now the boys are jealous, not because of Joseph's arrogance, but rather he's walking around in this coat. They took that coat and dipped it in blood and gave it to the, the father and said, Behold, isn't this your son's coat? Which is a very mean thing to do. But it says concerning the scripture, it says in the scriptures rather, that when Hashem comes in the end of days, he will be wearing a vesture dipped in blood. Why? Because he's the second Adam. So it says here in the insights to this chapter or this section, it says, why is there a two-step process to redemption? The re <laughs> train well. It's like Jedi. Very good. Behold, you were the teacher, now I. 
and the master. The redemption of Israel is such a world-altering event, it says, that it cannot take place all at once. Oh, it says right here, the redemption of Israel is such a world-altering event that it cannot take place all at once. Regarding the future as well, God employed a dual expression to herald the Messiah. Through the prophet Zechariah, he said, Behold, there is a man, his name is Zemach, and he will flourish, Yitzmach, in his place. He will build the sanctuary of Hashem, Zechariah 6, 12. This prophecy alludes to two flourishings, Zimichot, for the Messiah. Like Moses, he will arrive to begin his work, disappear, then arrive again to complete his task of remaking the world into a temple of divine service and a monument to God's glory. So, it continues. He says concerning this Mashiach that when he comes, that he's going to lead us into a wilderness. And it says here, whoever trusts in the Messiah and follows him into the wilderness and awaits his return during his 40 days of concealment, he will live to see the ultimate redemption. Whoever, you know, they came and said, Mashiach, we'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, foxes have holes. And birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was, my friends, I brought this down another dress. That was a euphemism for the wilderness journey. And here it says, whoever trusts the Messiah and follows him to a place where the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In that wilderness place where you're rejected by everything and everyone. If you follow him there, and you wait for his return. Notice it says you follow him there, but he's not there. You wait for his return. If you do that, then you will merit to see the ultimate redemption. Notice the man who heard that turned around and left his presence. He wasn't willing to go where there was no place to lay his head. He, he, he was perhaps a fox that wanted a hole or maybe a bird that wanted a nest. It says here, Rabbi Yitzhak Bar Marion said at the end of 45 days that there was a dispute about how long the Mashiach will be gone. But it says the Messiah will again appear to the Jews and will bring down manna for them in keeping with that which says, whatever has been, what will be, and whatever has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new beneath the sun, Ecclesiastes 1.9. It was a prophecy that Mashiach would give manna just like Moshe gave manna, which is why Yeshua taught about manna when he was here. He said, I give you this bread. And they said, what, what bread? Give us this bread that we should eat and never be hungry. He said, behold, if you eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And they said, whoa, that's just too far out. The manna he was talking about was the manna of God's presence, which was the same thing that the elders ate when they went up to see God. They said they had a festival. It's the same thing with the angels eat. It talks about another place that angels don't eat anything except God's presence. So it says in Shira Shirim, it says, why, why do we sit? Shira Shirim, excuse me, Midrash Shira Shirim 2.21. Midrash Shabbat Shira Shirim 2.21. Why do we sit? And why do we sit when we say the Shema? 
It says here in the Midrash that when we sit in the study hall, God stands behind the wall looking through the windows and peering through the lattices. It says that we actually sit in his presence. That when we are there, it says here, just as this gazelle leaps from mountain to mountain, from valley to valley, from tree to tree, and from hut to hut, and from stone fence to stone fence, so too does the Holy One bless me. He leaped from this synagogue into that synagogue, and from this study hall to that study hall. Why is it that God goes to such an extent so as to bless Israel? And by virtue of what merit is it that God comes to bless Israel? In the merit of the patriarchs of, uh, excuse me, the patriarch Abraham. And so it, so it is written, it says, Hashem appeared to him, Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day, Genesis 18.1. Rabbi Berachiah said in the name of Rabbi Levi, the word Yoshev, sitting, is written here with the letters Yod, Shin, Beis, but without the letter Vav. Thus, deficiency indicates that Abraham moved to rise out of respect for the divine presence. But the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, Sit, Abraham, you are a symbol, that is a portent, for your progeny. Just as you are here sitting and I am standing, so it will be in the future when your descendants at the time when they enter the synagogue and the study halls to write, recite the Shema. They will sit and my glory will be standing among them. Come on, do you, do you, this, some, some people might wonder, why when we say Shema do we sit down? The reason is, is because God found Abraham sitting under the tree at his circumcision when he had removed the klipa from his heart, when he had circumcised his flesh in obedience to God, sitting there in his pain, and God showed up and said, because you've become perfect, because you've removed your, 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 your klipa from you, your evil nature from you, I've come. And no, 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 sit down, because while you're saying the Shema, see, when we say the Shema, it's like we're circumcising our heart. And God shows up to stand over us and say Barak over us. This is also why when Mashiach was walking around at the Last Supper washing our feet, he was doing the same thing. No, you sit and let me stand and wait on you. Why? Because you're being here. You're bringing down Kedusha upon yourselves. It says, they will sit and my glory will be standing among them. What is the scriptural basis for this? Psalm 82.1 God stands in the divine assembly. God stands in the divine assembly. Mayom Loez to this, to this passage, page 125, bringing down another insight into this particular uh, verse. It says, After the episode of the binding of Isaac on the altar, Abraham called the site Adonai Yireh, the Lord will see, Genesis twenty-two fourteen. That is, he asked that his descendants be placed under special divine supervision. Now, keep in mind that Ma'am Loez is commenting here on Shir Hashirim, chapter 2 and verse 9. My beloved is like a gazelle, a young heart. Behold, he stands behind our, our wall, looking through the windows, peering through the lattices. That's where he stands. But it goes on to say, we want his supervision to be clearly in evidence. 
In other words, as Jews, we understand that God's presence is not clearly seen because he stands behind the wall, behind the lattice. We understand that we cannot see God as it were because no man can see God and live. And yet, Ma'am Loez is bringing down that as Jews, we yearn to see him because there was a time in which we did see him. So it says here, we want his supervision to be clearly in evidence. Adonai Yerai, the Lord will be seen. That's how it can be read. Same word pronounced differently. Adonai Yerai, Adonai Rae. Adonai Yerai, the Lord is seen, or excuse me, the Lord will see. Adonai Yerai, or Adonai Yerai, the Lord will be seen. Thus the scripture there concludes, as it says to this day, the Lord is, will be seen, as he sees, so should he be seen. The heart cry of the writer of the Shir Hashirim is simply this, God, we want to see your face. Because remember, and this is brought down in the Midrash Rabbah, that, and we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll be able to read here in a second, that when we cross through the Dead Sea, or excuse me, the, the Sea of Reeds, that actually we did see God. We, not, remember, it says the Redeemer is like a gazelle. He appears and disappears and then reappears again. So the first appearance of the Redeemer was when we were going through the Sea of Reeds and it says that everyone in Israel, even the little babies, even the babies in the womb, saw the clear manifestation of Hashem. We pointed at him and we said, this is our God and we will worship him. It says in the, in the, uh, uh, the, the writings of the sages that in the end days, we will be dancing around Hashem and he will be in the middle of the dance. And we will point at him and we will say, this is our God and we will worship him. Why? Because he appeared and then he disappeared. Then he appeared again and says, behold, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then he disappeared and he's going to be able to reappear again. And we're going to dance around him and say, this is our God and we will worship him. Amen. That's what's going on here. It says, and in, in also in Mamloez to this verse, something I, I just wanted to point out. It says, repentance is directly related to the advent of the redemption. Quote, let me make an opening as narrow as the sharp edge of a needle, end quote. And the beloved Israel says to us, and he will hasten like a gazelle to open the great door for our deliverance. He looks through the windows and peers through the lattices in eager anticipation of our redemption. <laughs> Are you kidding me that Mayim Loez is talking about just if we can just open the eye of a needle a little bit, then he'll run like a gazelle to meet us. Is there any wonder then that Yeshua used the imagery of a father who runs to his son who's starting to head back to him? Listen, when we turn back to God and we start walking in his direction, he's going he's gonna to tackle us like a linebacker. Amen. It'll be the best tackle we've ever received. In verse 14, it says, At the sea, he said to me, O oh, my dove, trapped at the sea, as in the cleft of the rock, the concealment 
of the terrace. Show me your prayerful gaze. Let me hear your supplicating voice, for your voice is sweet and your countenance is calmly. And Shira Shireen, Midrash Rabbah, Shira Shireen, 2.30. Let's turn there. I'm going to turn there. If you don't have it, it's okay. Not everybody has it, Baruch Hashem. Why does God, this, this passage here, why is God saying that he's, he wants to hear our voice? Because it says here, Oh my dove and the crannies of the rock and the covert of the steps, in the covert of the steps, show me your countenance. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your, your countenance calmly. This, the sages say, is referring to the Sea of Reeds. Then we were going through the Red Sea. That was, in fact, the area of the cleft of the rock. Being in the water was being in the cleft of the rock. And the reason, one of the reasons why Hashem allowed that entire episode to, to transpire is be, directly because He longed to hear our voice. He wanted to hear us cry out to Him. It says, When Israel saw the Egyptians pursuing them, they lifted up their eyes to the Holy One, blessed be He, and cried out before Him. As the verse says, the children of Israel raised their eyes, and behold, Egypt was sojourning after them, and they were frightened. The children of Israel cried out to Adonai. Similarly, to the cry with which they had cried out to God in Egypt. When the Holy One, blessed be here, heard them, he said to them, Had I not done this to you, orchestrating your pursuit by the Egyptians, I would not have heard your voice. It was with reverence to that moment that God declared, O my dove, and the crannies of the rock, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. It is not written here, let me hear a voice, for a voice is sweet, but rather let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. Your voice that I have already heard in Egypt. And when the children of Israel did cry out before the Holy One must be He, then immediately on that day, Adonai saved Israel from the hand of Egypt. What does this teach us? It teaches us that Hashem wanted us to pray so that He could hear our voice. In the Midrash Shabbat, it talks about the fact in one of the inside articles, that the very reason that Hashem gives us aversion and struggle, it says here that this teaching reminds us of the purpose, it says, of adversity in our lives. The reason that God gives us adversity, even though it says we yearn for a life of comfort and good fortune, and we, we dread the affliction that comes sometimes in our lives. We don't like challenge. We don't like adversity. But the problem is, is that through our human nature, when everything is going good and all the bills are paid and all the food is on the table and life is wonderful, we sometimes forget to pray. Or if we do pray, then it's just kind of rote. 
It's only in those times of challenge and adversity when we're facing an uphill challenge that we really cry out and tears really flow down our face and we, re we really begin to seek Hashem. And Hashem says, oh, that's that sweet voice. Your voice is the sweet voice I was yearning to hear. And so it teaches us that we should be yearning and crying for a spirit of prayer. This is why the sages said that maybe it's better for Jews to live in poverty. Because in so doing, we're like the people who live in the desert. Every day we've got to come to Hashem and ask for the manna today. Meaning we've always got to have Him in our forefront as our source. And it just reminded me that we need to be people of prayer. People of prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray. And you're going to get maybe sick of me saying this, but I want you to pray for your neighbors. I want you to pray for people you see in the marketplace. I want you to pray for people at work. I want you to pray that Hashem should fill your eyes with tears for people that don't know the Messiah. That they would, you, would, you would look at people who are not walking this walk of Lapid, Judaism, and you would just yearn that they should come to know this beautiful walk. If you're somebody that says, you can honestly say, not to me, not to the person next to you, but looking in the mirror, you could say to yourself honestly, and you could say to God and say, I really don't have a passion. I really don't care. If that's you and you're honest, you don't have to tell me, tell nobody else. If you can honestly look at yourself and say, ah, children come to shul, I don't care. We have three youth, we have 10 youth, we have 50 youth, we have no youth, no bother to me. I walk in, there's empty seats, don't even think about it. I walk in and there's place to park, good for me, I got a good place. We walk in, I don't have to bring in an extra table, we're not sitting like this and own egg. Oh good, I can spread out, it's more comfortable. Nobody walks in line, who cares? We have people online, don't even know. If that's you then I would suggest that you should spend the next many days asking God to break up the fallow ground in your heart. Amen. That you should, you should be weeping and crying over what's wrong with me. Talking about you, I'm talking about me. If we walk around and we're more concerned about what's in this for me rather than, Hashem, how can I be your light? Because Abraham was all about being a light. You realize what Mikael said, bringing down what they're talking about, this parasha, that when God is standing in front, standing over Abraham, bringing down blessing upon Abraham, bringing down Kedusha upon Abraham, Abraham said, Hashem, can you excuse me one second? There's some men over there that need to know about you. Can you just hold this for one second? I need to go get them. I'll be right back. They, he left the 99 and went and found the one. You understand that God was right there bringing down Kedusha. And Abraham was, oh, what a Torah study I'm in right now. It's amazing. What a time of davening I'm in right now. Wow, what, a, what anointing. Somebody doesn't know you. Hold on one second. I'll be right back. Let me go get them. Let me leave my comfort. Let me leave my kadusha that I'm in right now and bring these law. He didn't know there was angels. He thought they were three pagans. 
That's why he had them wash their feet because the pagans worshiped the dust of the earth. He thought they were pagans. He was bringing them in. He left Hashem to go bring them in. That was, that was the level that, God, that, that, that Abraham was on. That was the level. And that's the level that Hashem is calling us to. And that's why we have adversity. God wants us to pray. And one final thing, one final thing. I know we, we've, we went a little over because of all the wonderful praying that happened today. Midrash, by, by the way, just as an aside, Midrash Rabbah, Shira Shreem 235. I, I'll, with God's help, we'll post this. I'll actually send my notes like I promised to do to Ahmed and let him drosh on it, but the file was too big to send last time because I had too many pictures. That's what happened. But, uh, Midrash Rabbah Shira Shreem 235 talks about that no one can be a guarantor for you if they're trapped in the same trap you're in. Now, I wish I had time to expound on that, but it talks about a story about two, two rabbis. One was sick and the other was a great Zodic. He wasn't sick. So whenever he would come to see his friend, his, son, his friend was in pain, he would daven and the pain would be relieved. One day, that rabbi got sick, and his friend came back and said, how come you didn't say the same bracha you said for me when I was sick? And he says, well, if I am, if I am under the, the, the curse, as it were, of sickness, I can't be a guarantor for myself. This is why Mashiach had to be born of a virgin, because he had to come into a world and be outside the confinement of the prison in order to rescue those who are in prison. You can't save everybody if you're on the Titanic with them. Someone says, I don't believe the Mashiach was a divine Messiah. It's like, well, you're, we're going down. Because the scripture says, salvation is found in no earthly king. But anyway, I digress. But I... <laughs> wow. Thank you, Hashem. <laughs> that, was a, that was the best amen I think I've, I've, I've received. Hallelujah. Listen. One more thing. One more, one more parable before we, before we conclude. This is a parable that Ma'am Loez is bringing down in relationship to uh, our verse, my love in the cleft of the rock and the cover of the step. Show me your countenance. Let your voice, for your voice is sweet and your countenance is comely. The situation of the Jewish people can be likened to the situation of a mother who's been led captive together with her children. Brutalized and mercilessly beaten by their captors, they, they scattered in all directions, taking refuge in caves and behind rocks and the crevices of cliffs. Dispersed, abandoned, and motherless, the children began to wander from place to place in search of one another and their mother, but their battered faces were covered by bandages and terrible injuries had deformed them beyond recognition. Suddenly, however, the mother raised her voice in bitter weeping, and she was immediately recognized by all her children. My sheep shall know my voice. It says, this is an allegory about the exile of the Shekinah and our own exile. Mashiach is exiled with us. We are dispersed among the nations who do not cease to afflict us, and our and agonized lament can be heard all over the globe. I am blackened and crippled, Shirashrim 1, 6. 
The visage of my people is blacker than coal, and they are not known in the streets. We flock to our houses of prayer and houses of study built with cedars from the forest of Lebanon, and there we also hear the lament of the divine presence. Woe is me, for I have destroyed my house, banished my children among the nations. Where are they? Where are my children? We respond by raising our voices in prayer and Torah study, and the Shekinah says, Behold, it's the voice of Jacob, Genesis 7, 22. However, our hands are still the hands of Esau. We are recognized only by our voices. Because we are delinquent in Torah study and the observance of mitzvot, we resemble the other nations. Our hands are the hands of Esau. Accordingly, the verse here says, My dove in the clefts of the rock, all of us are far from home. We dwell in the concealment inside caves and crevices, and there we weep. But God calls out to us, Show me your countenance, I beseech you, and your face is blacker than black, and you cannot show yourselves. Then let me hear your voice. Your voice is not changed. It retains its sweetness. I say that your countenance, too, is as calmly as ever. Our voice may be the voice of Jacob, and we may say, but our, our good deeds are the deeds of Esau. And Hashem says, what matters to me most is your voice. If you raise up your voice to me, then I will raise up your deeds. If you raise up your cry to heaven in a cry of Shuva, then I will take off of you the hair, as it were, of Esau and give you the hands, too, of Jacob. Even the Mashiach who said, Behold, greater things than these shall you do, because I go to Abba. But what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Hashem. Na 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 na